everyone. Welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things in the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we think that helps us apply them to our lives better and draw more power out of them. And we need that power today. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm so excited for our guest today. It's my, my dear friend and colleague, uh, Jared Ludlow, who I've known for a very long time. In fact, Jared uh, is in some ways responsible for me getting my first uh, full-time job uh, he was teaching at BYU-Hawaii and uh, reached out to me and said, we're having an opening coming up. You ought to uh, consider uh, applying here. And uh, I, I did. And the second go round, I was hired. I was so thrilled with that. And, and it ended up making it so that uh, I was, what, 60% in the religion department, 40% in the history. And Jared was the, the yin to my yang. He was 60% history. 40% religion. So between the two of us, we made two people. Uh, he ended up being the department chair there. Uh, so he was my history department chair. Uh, but we also lived next to each other and our kids played with each other. And uh, it's just been uh, one of my closest friends for a long time. One of the, uh, not only brilliant, but just a kind Christian uh, gentleman, a gentleman scholar in every meaning of that word uh, and a fantastic person. And so thank you for joining us, Jared. Well, thank you. My pleasure. And Likewise, yeah, we've had a lot of interaction over the years, and it's been great that we came here to BYU Provo together at the same time also, and so. Yeah, yep, right right at the exact same time. We've been kind of joined at the hip for a long time. There was no fence between our backyards for a while, so I think our kids uh, figured that both backyards were their backyards. So, <laughs> And there was a house in between us, and they, they were also part of the backyard. So, <laughs> Anyway, well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jared. Well, uh, I was mostly raised here in Provo, and uh, my father was a religion professor, so I kind of grew up around that environment and spent some time in Jerusalem when he taught in semester abroad programs. So I think that kind of led me to my interest in the, the scriptures and the history and things of the Holy Land, and uh, so I ended up studying Near Eastern Studies at BYU and then going to UC Berkeley for a master's degree in Biblical Hebrew. And, and that, that just tells you how, how good our bond is since I went to UCLA and he went to UC Berkeley and we're still good friends. We're still friends. We can yeah. put aside those uh, little differences, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, then I stayed there for a PhD. Uh, it was a joint program with the Graduate Theological Union, which is next door to UC Berkeley. And it was technically in Near Eastern religions, but I focused on ancient Judaism, early Christianity, and, uh, and then kind of picking up where you were talking about, Carrie, uh, went off to BYU Hawaii uh, in 2000. So been doing this for about 22 years now and uh, enjoying every minute of it. And uh, I've now had the opportunity to take my children over to Jerusalem and participate in, in the study abroad program there at the Jerusalem Center. And so my wife and kids have kind of had some exposure to this kind of stuff as well. And uh, so it's been great. Yeah. Maybe I'll introduce two little trivia facts. One, Jared currently serves as uh, the publications director, director for the Religious Studies Center uh, here that's part of religious education at BYU. 
And uh, this is a way back trivia, but uh, you, you tell me if I have this wrong, but I believe that when you were in high school, your father was a mission president in Germany. So you, you did at least uh, three years of high school in Germany where you your senior year, you would voted most athletic, I, if I remember right. Yes, I was co-athlete of the year. Yeah, um, which senior. has been handy a number of times as we played basketball together and so on. I've relied on his three-point shot and so on to, to bail me out. So it's been unfortunately, handy. Unfortunately, age has started to catch up with me in that area, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not talk about that part. So anyway. <laughs> Well, wonderful. Well, today we're going to talk about the Psalms. And uh, Jared, I know there, there are many things in the scriptures that we, we could have you on about any element of the scriptures, I think, and you'd have something that has become very real to you. But uh, I would guess that there's something in the, the Psalms that have really struck you or have uh, been meaningful to you or have been very real to you. Would you share some of that with us? Sure. I think maybe just first a little bit of kind of general thoughts. Um, you know, often we compare the Psalms to, to hymns or, or religious poetry, uh, and obviously there's a good reason for that. Um, and so I think a lot of, uh, you know, when I sing hymns in church, uh, I try to also pay attention to the words, uh, not just the, the music. Um, although I enjoy the music as well. Yeah, you, you play the organ, right? I mean, you, you're, uh, you're musical. You're, you're, you're like the complete package. But <laughs> No, I have uh, picked up the organ and play about once a month in my ward. But um, anyway, um, <clears throat> you know, and that's also something I think I do during the sacrament is I like to read the, the words of the sacrament hymn and really think about what it's saying and teaching and some of the doctrines. And, and so that's kind of how I approach, I guess, the Psalms in general is thinking of it in terms of, you know, what are some of the doctrines that it teaches? What are some ways it can affect me, touch me? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, I guess, primarily these are songs of, or hymns, psalms of praise. And you know, we, we do some praise in the church, but I think we probably could do more yeah. of that. Uh, I think we're really good on gratitude and thankfulness, and that's certainly a part of many of these psalms. And that's a form of praise. But praise goes, I think, a little bit beyond of just acknowledging God. Maybe it's a little akin to when we bear testimony and we're sharing thoughts about you know, what we believe in and, and acknowledging God and his greatness and what he's done for us and, and these kinds of things. I mean, even the title page of the Book of Mormon points out that that's one of its purposes, right? To teach us all the great things that the Lord has done for his people. And that's, I think, what Psalms lays out is repeats over and over again, sometimes these uh, great things that God has done for his people. And so those, you know, I think of those, that praising and worshiping and worshiping is part of liturgy. It's part of prayer, uh, trying to draw closer to God, to strengthen that relationship, right, that uh, we have with God. I think that's where Psalms differs from a lot of the other part of the Old Testament is 
it really is building on that relationship between God and the individual or the community. Some of these are, you know, placed more as community type things, uh, but trying to, to really build on that. It's not a book <laughs> that I read from cover to cover uh, <laughs> because I think, you know, it can get kind of mind numbing and seems repetitive that way. But I remember my dad would always say a psalm a day keeps the devil away. And uh, I think that's, you know, something that we could probably incorporate a little bit more is, you know, just the consistent reading of a psalm or two uh, regularly. I, I know a lot of our, our Christian friends have study Bibles that will have uh, whatever else they're reading that day, there's a psalm for that day and a proverb for that day. And that seems like a really effective way to to keep that worship and uh, uh, wisdom in your life. Yeah. Um, I, I guess another general thing about psalms is there is a lot of petition, too, for God. And, and we, of course, do that in our prayers a lot, asking God for help and forgiveness and these sorts of things. And so you see that aspect a lot. Uh, and so, you know, um, I think it's just helpful to kind of keep some of those things in mind as we approach the book of Psalms of how can we use some of the concepts here, some of the teachings, the doctrines, the pleading with God, the praising of God to strengthen our own relationship uh, with God. And, you know, so maybe, you know, as we proceed here, we, I can share a few things that jump out at me uh, of some of these kinds of thoughts. But maybe the place I'll start, if that's okay, is Psalm 132, or excuse me, 125. Yeah. Um, on the same page. That's another good thing about Psalms is, you know, you can get a Psalm in pretty quickly. They tend to be pretty short, except for a few uh, exceptions. Um, but this gets back to Jerusalem, and Carrie, I know you spent a lot of time there uh, as well. Uh, and the first verse talks about, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. And I think there's partially the concept of the geographical location of Mount Zion, but more importantly, the spiritual you know, Mount Zion, uh, probably this is synonymous with the temple with you know, where God has placed his name uh, for worship and things like that. Uh, but I really like verse two because one of the interesting things about the city of Jerusalem is the main city, starting with David and the subsequent, you know, generations, it's actually on a, a lower hill than the Mount of Olives and other mounts around it on both the east and west side, which is not very smart strategically. And yes, they kind of pay the price for that later on. Uh, but they built it down lower on this other hill because it was closer to the water, to the Gihon Spring, the source of water that they needed. Uh, so it made sense that way, but it didn't make sense defensive-wise. It still has some steep valleys around it and so on, but when you get to an era where you can start really launching things, this gets to be a, a bigger and bigger problem. That's true. 
Um, and so I like verse two because it kind of talks about this concept as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. So the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even for forever. And, and so it kind of places Jerusalem at the hands of God to be, God will be their defense. God will be their protection. And it was that way when they were righteous and, and obedient to the covenant and things, they were protected. And, you know, we just recently in our Come Follow Me study of the Old Testament talked about Hezekiah and, and Isaiah and that time period when the Assyrians couldn't conquer Jerusalem, even though they had it uh, surrounded because the people had turned to the Lord and uh, protected it. But then we see that you know, about a hundred years later, the Babylonians come and they do conquer it um, because of the wickedness of the people and so forth. Uh, and so uh, Margaret, my wife actually, you know, pointed out this verse and put it with some pictures we have of our family with Jerusalem and things. And I just really like that concept of the Lord is round about his people just like the mountains are round about uh, Jerusalem. And so that's one little detail. And this comes from what, you know, I've heard some people talk about the Psalms as a, it's not just a collection of random Psalms or hymns, but it's really a collection of collections. You know, there's various sections within here that maybe were separate collections at one point. And, you know, in our King James, Bibles, it says a song of degrees, right? And we have this section of, what, about a dozen or so psalms that have some connection with pilgrims going up towards the temple and either reciting some of these psalms as they're making their way up and ascending towards the temple, or maybe uh, Levites and other singers in the temple courtyard area on the steps leading up towards the altar could have been chanting, singing these. Fortunately, of course, don't have any music. As, you know, we, we seem to have notations towards musical things. I, you know, you've talked more about this probably uh, with your other guests, but we just don't have any music yeah. left to know what they would have done with this. but. No, it lets us do whatever we want with it. That's kind of the nice. Thing. And, and, and to speak to your collection of collections, I, I think our audience can kind of picture that if they picture our own hymn book, right? We've got the section, these are the Christmas hymns. These are the Easter hymns. Here are the sacrament hymns uh, and so on. And so we have even with our own hymn book, these collections that then all get put together in this hymn book. Right. That's a good point. Um. We could go to maybe a, continuing on with this theme of Jerusalem. Uh, a psalm that really stands out to me is Psalm 137. Um, probably one of the more historical psalms that we have. That's, you know, of course, one of the issues with psalms is the dating of it is, is so difficult because there's hardly anything in there to connect with certain historical events or whatever. I think Psalm 137 would be an exception because it's while they're in captivity, while they're in exile and they're away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, we get this very poignant, 
almost lamentation, I guess. You know, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. I mean, you know, we couldn't really even play music. It just didn't seem appropriate. Yeah. For there they for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of our songs, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But then verse four, how shall we sing? the Lord's song in a strange land, in this foreign land away from the covenant land. But then comes this very powerful, and I think for the Jews particularly, this becomes kind of a an anthem or motto or something uh, of returning to the land. And, uh, and it will have meaning for them again and again and again as they lose Jerusalem again and again. Right. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So in other words, this, uh, we can never forget this important place, this covenant place, uh, the temple, the you know, covenant land of Abraham and so forth. Yeah, and, and wherever they are and whatever joy they can find wherever they are, I think it's saying there should be a part of them that remains sorrowful that they're not in Jerusalem, which uh, I, I don't think we you know, want to say let's all be sad all the time. But, but there's an analogy here that, that however happy we are all the time, we should always keep in, remember, in remembrance. We're, we're strangers here on earth, right? They're, they're, this is not our our home, we have lost God's presence and there's there's little sorrow in that and we hopefully can one day regain that. We can with Christ, right? So hopefully it happens for all of us. But uh, I, I like that analogy that as happy as we can be, don't forget what we're missing. Right. Don't get distracted so much by how good we can make things now that you forget that there's something that's missing that we need to regain. I like how you use that word distracted because I think that's you know part of our challenge here on earth is or you know leaving the presence of God is are we going to get distracted with the things of the world? Yeah. And, and or the things forget, of Babylon. You know, forget him and forget, you know, this covenant and so forth. And so so yeah, it's just this kind of warning almost. Uh, don't let me forget. Don't let me stop remembering how important these things are. Even if, yeah, like you said, some Jews end up living in Babylon and they're content there. But part of them, I think part of their worship, certainly, but also part of their heart is probably still pointed towards Jerusalem and, yeah. and what goes on there. And, you know, still today in Passover service, what's one of the closing lines? You know, Next year in Jerusalem, that would be yeah. the ideal place to to be able to celebrate this. So from wherever they are in the world that they're doing this, uh, they're thinking of that place and, and so forth. And, and I think as uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we can, we can identify with this a little bit. As happy as we are, wherever we are, and we gather to our, our home stakes and so on right now, 
But for many, there's this idea, it was sad that we had to leave Kurland. It was sad that we had to leave Nauvoo. And and there's a, I've been with a lot of people when they go to visit Kurland or Nauvoo that uh, there's this sense of, ah, even if they didn't have ancestors that were there and, you know, they had never been there, there's this sense of, ah, we... We, we, we we're getting this again. I think it's part of why the church was so excited when President Hinckley announced we were going to build a temple in Nauvoo again. It was the restoration of that which was lost and and the, the healing of a wound. And I frankly have seen this happen for people with Jerusalem as well, people who had never been to Jerusalem and maybe didn't even have a desire to go to Jerusalem. And then they arrive there and they realize, ah, oh, I didn't know there's a part of me that was missing. But now now I know. And uh, uh, hopefully, again, that can be an analogy for more important things. But I, I think we can identify with this feeling. Yeah, 136. Yeah. Sometimes called the great Hallel or the great, you know, we are familiar with the term hallelujah, you know, praising God or giving Hosanna. Or, I mean, um, you know, acknowledging God as a source of salvation and so forth. Um, but this is one of those that praises God and thanks him for everything uh, that he's done. And it probably was one that they, you know, had somebody give the first part and then the congregation recited for his mercy endureth forever, for his mercy endureth forever, which in other translations is his loving kindness or, you know, the Hebrew term chesed. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure you've talked about with, you know, this covenantal love, uh, loyalty, uh, connection to God with. And so it kind of goes on and on of, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. And then probably the audience would respond for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods for his mercy endureth forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, his mercy, to him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. And so a lot of these psalms, you know, will bring back creation, will bring back uh, the exodus, the deliverance that God um, brought them forth. So jumping down, verse 12, with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. And so it just is, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be a part of this in a liturgical setting, uh, yeah. to be able to kind of chant this back and forth and to, to review the great things God did for the ancient Israelites and delivering them to this land and giving it to them and well first creating the land and, and creating the world in the first place and so forth uh, would be quite amazing and and this oh sorry keep going no I was just gonna say and, and you know this is a common characteristic we see in many of these psalms is is praising and thanking God for creation for his great works deliverance etc yeah uh, and I, I, for many Jews today and for a long time, this is a regular part of Passover is to recite this psalm because it's got this remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt and that 
that praise. Uh, and, and there's, you know, this lesson we can learn again, that really one of the, the themes seems to be, look at what God has done for you and, and how the repeated theme is, oh, look at his mercy. Or as you said, that, that chesed, that covenantal love and mercy and, and so on that we have talked about a number of times so that uh, I love the end. If, if you look at this in, in Hebrew, every, every verse ends with ki li'olam uh, chesedo. And that, that's chesedo is his, uh, his covenantal love or mercy and so on. But it ends. So for us, it, forever is the last word. And there's a nice emphasis in there to think, okay, it, it never ends. It goes forever, li'olam, right? But um, we've got... Uh, uh, or it's let Olam. Sorry, my glasses. I thought there was a yod in there. I thought that's weird, but that's just my glasses not adjusting right. Uh, anyway, so it's let Olam, um, forever. But in in Hebrew, that emphasis at the end is on Chesed, or that's the last word in every one of these verses. That that special mercy and love, and to recognize that we could come up with a list of all sorts of things he's done in our own lives, in modern church history, and whatever we should recognize that all of them are an expression of his covenantal mercy and love for us. And I, I love the way that this psalm highlights that. Great. Maybe just one other little Hebrew note here, that key that begins that mm -hmm. phrase. Often, you know, we use that just for because or continuing yeah. for, mm -hmm. but it, in this case, it probably has an intensifying effect of indeed. Indeed. Uh. Is, his, you know, Hesed is forever, whatever, uh, you know, that, so it kind of emphasizes that aspect to it. Yeah. Ah, that's great. Good. Yeah. It's, it, it, and again, as you said at the beginning, I hope as we're going through this, that everyone is getting a feeling for, as you read these Psalms, the gratitude and the, the joy and the praise and worship that are part of them again and again and again. And that as we uh, go through it. Hopefully it automatically helps us incorporate this more, but it's better if it intentionally, if we are intentional about it, in incorporate this gratitude and praise more and more into our lives. Mm -hmm. I think, for, you know, the hymn, How Great Thou Art, I guess that would be a good mm -hmm. example of, of praising, you know, of just how great he is and what he's done and, and those kinds of things. And doing, you know, doing that as part of our prayer, personal prayer, of acknowledging how great he is. Um, yeah. So, uh, still in this kind of area here, Psalm 127 has a couple of verses that have to do with parenting and children and all. Uh, pretty well-known verse of 127 verse 3, children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Uh, as arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I don't know how full it has to be, but <laughs> got five of them, and I'm pretty happy with them. Uh, they shall not be ashamed, but that they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. But this idea, you know, that sometimes we get this these little, almost like wisdom text type insights of, you know what would be a good life living in this world. And, and part of that is, is to have children to, um, that they're a blessing or an inheritance from the Lord and, and to you know, joy in that and be happy with, with them as, as you 
grow up together and and so forth. And uh, and one that can really hit home for a lot of people. That one, so right at home. I always sometimes if I mean I'm never bored in church, but let's say hypothetically if I were ever bored in church, Psalm uh, <laughs> one nineteen is just kind of fun because you have the Hebrew letters um, actually there. And each of those sections, of course, is an acrostic. So each of the verses in that section start with that particular letter. Uh, so if you ever want to learn or review the Hebrew alphabet, uh, you can just go to section or Psalm 119, which is probably the longest psalm, I would think. Yeah, because you have to have several verses for every letter. What are there, 22 letters? Am I remembering right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See. So you have to have 22 sets of verses. So that makes it pretty long. Yeah. And I love how in our, uh, I mean, I, I think Sheen is uh, transliterated a little funny, but uh, I love how we have uh, in our scriptures put the letters in there so that people can tell that's what's going on. Uh, it's it's fun. Yeah. In the English translation, we, we missed the, each verse is starting with that letter, but, but at least we have it in the section heading so that we know yeah. that that's what's going on. Um, maybe another Psalm 92. This says it's a psalm or a song for the Sabbath day. Uh, but again, I think it's a good example of praising God. Um, and what better day to do that than on the Sabbath day? Uh, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. To show forth thy loving kindness, there's that chesed again, in mm -hmm. the morning, and thy faithfulness every night. Uh, upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work, I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and any thoughts are very deep. And then it points out, you know, that if we want to be fools and miss God in our lives, then we could try that. And a British man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is they that shall be destroyed forever. So just that concept that, yeah, it may seem like they're prospering and flourishing, but that's just for a season, and the grass dies, and it, it's gone. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. And so even the enemies of the Lord or the enemies of the people shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn, and I shall be anointed with fresh oil. And verse 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You can see particularly, I mean, we've seen it in some of these other verses, but you know, these, the Hebrew parallelism that lies behind a lot of these verses where, you know, we have the righteous shall flourish like a palm. The next part doesn't say the righteous again, but it's assumed because it's in parallel. The righteous shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And so, you know, bring these out. Um, and <laughs> um, those that he... Excuse me, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. 
They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. That's me right now, fat and flourishing. <laughs> to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So a great, you know, psalm or song for the Sabbath day to remember all that he has. And, and so we see, you know, throughout the Psalms, a lot of God's mercy, what he's done. And we talked about that already a little bit. But there's this justice side of God, right? And we can't ignore that. And and if we do, we, you know, we do so at our own risk and peril. But uh, that's, I think, another thing the Psalms bring out is uh, kind of warnings that God is also God of justice, and and uh, we can't just do whatever we want. And not expect that there'd be consequences for that. Uh, yeah, lots of uh, repentance and mercy and praise, but also uh, requests for justice and uh, and vengeance. So a lot of requests for deliverance, which have coupled with them the idea of, of justice, right? People have done me wrong. I need to rely on your justice, God, to deliver me from people who continue to try to do me wrong. And that's that's the flip side of that. We we don't like justice if it's going to be applied to us, but we really like it if it's going to be applied to people who aren't fair to us. And uh, uh, that it can't work that way, right? But that's that is one of the major themes of uh, the Psalms that is worth looking at. And I, I think being grateful for the justice of God, both because it can uh, deliver us from our enemies, and then because it can be tempered with His mercy. Yeah, and that's the thing is God, God is not just out there to try to zap us, right? I mean, right. it's it's justice because it's just. It's what he's already told us as part of the covenant, you know. If you do these things, you receive these blessings. If you don't, then these are the consequences. And, and so we should be grateful we have a just God that doesn't suddenly just yeah. change the parameters on us midstream. I, yeah. Nothing would anger students faster than a professor suddenly saying, oh, well, you know how I said we just have a midterm and a final. I've decided now we're going to have four exams or yeah. you know, I'm going to have three more papers that you have to do that you know I didn't tell you about at the beginning of the semester. And the no. paper you put so much work in only counts for 10% instead of 25% now. And yeah. And, you know, if we did that, students would just be in an uproar. And, and so we, we should be grateful that we have a God that is consistent and lays it out for us and tells us plainly, here's what we need to do. Not always easy to live that, but, but at no. least we know uh, that what we need to do and we have a source of mercy you know that as long as we keep coming back to him yeah. trying to repair the wrongs that we may have done uh, then he will show his mercy and, and, so and really the him. justice is aimed at moving us back to him so that then we can take advantage of the mercy that the justice is justice for the sake of justice but it's also justice that is aimed at bringing us humbling us and pointing us where we should go so that then we can take advantage of the mercy and and uh, come back so it's uh, actually justice is a fantastic thing it's an aspect of his mercy 
right? Yeah, uh, that's well said. Yeah, that's um, that's good. Justice that, as an aspect of mercy, I like that. Yeah, and that may be part of the reason why David is such a figure in the Psalms, because over and over again, we see these pleading for forgiveness, you know, yeah. and whether historically this was written by David or not, it's certainly in that spirit, in that vein, and all of us, you know, have things we need to plead to God for, for forgiveness, and David becomes that example, you know, because <laughs> it's kind of harsh that, you know, his sin is just put front and center in the scripture, and he's known forever with, you know, adultery and then trying to then the murder of Uriah and so forth. But he's, you know, then there's these petitions for forgiveness. And, you know, Psalm 51 is a very strong one about that, that, uh, you know, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Um, so verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's that parallelism again. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. And I like this sense in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Um, and, you know, verse 15, to praise, you know, open my mouth that I can praise thee. And then verse 16, we get this little part that we certainly see come up later in the New Testament. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And so I really like that notion of, you know, this is repentance. This is seeking God's forgiveness. Um, and not, that, that idea, oh, sorry, keep going. I was just going to say, it's not as important, you know, I bring all these sacrifices to the temple and, and somehow try to buy my forgiveness. It's, having that broken and contrite um, heart. That's what God wants from us. Yeah. And, and that idea is picked up on by Isaiah, Amos, Micah, and others. And then, as you say, in the New Testament and in the Book of Mormon and even in the Doctrine and Covenants. But this is the earliest attestation of it that I'm aware of, this idea of, yes, we, we you want us to do sacrifices, but that's not what you're really asking for in the sacrifices. You're asking for something deeper. And so... Uh, it's a testament to understanding what was really being asked for early in Israel's history uh, throughout. Now, maybe they didn't always uh, perfectly live according to that ideal, and neither do we. But 
I think uh, David expresses it so well, and his some of his language is used by Isaiah and others uh, a number of times. Yeah, I mean, don't we see, I, I think Psalms has had a tremendous impact on later scripture, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the most quoted, if not the most quoted in the New Testament, um, yeah. just the concepts and teachings too. Yeah. Hold on. Probably because it was a regular part of you know what they heard and those that could read could read if they had access to it and so forth. And uh, while we're on David, I think uh, as you said, he's such a, a regular part of the Psalms. And as you've been talking, I hadn't really thought this. I'd kind of thought about it before, but not as much. You've helped me realize this. It's it, there's an interesting irony. Uh, here, because a lot of David's psalms are written before his uh, sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, um, but they're written during his really difficult time period. David is one who is unjustly accused, unjustly persecuted. Saul is trying to kill him, and and so on. When he's just served Saul so well, and so he writes a lot of psalms during this time period. If if the ones attributed to him really are to him, and they they seem to fit the way he's talking about it, it seems to fit with what's going on in his life. Um, this idea that I have enemies around me constantly, and I need your deliverance. I'm being unjustly persecuted, uh, and I'm unjustly in danger, and I need help from you, God. Please deliver me. And then interestingly, he unjustly persecutes Uriah, and because of his sin, he needs a different kind of deliverance. But he he knows where he's had deliverance in the past, a different kind, but he knows where he's had deliverance in the past. He's used to crying out to the Lord for that deliverance. And so he takes his previous experiences and, and applies them in his new dire need. And uh, so we have these beautiful hymns of asking for all different kinds of deliverance from David uh, because he finds himself initially through no fault of his own, in a terrible circumstance, and then through his own fault, and uh, and yet he uh, is consistent throughout that in turning to the Lord, and and there's a great lesson in that. But I, I think uh, the the pleas for deliverance from David are some of the most touching elements in all of Scripture, whether that be the ones we were just reading for sin, or whether it be for deliverance from the sword. A very powerful, you know from the heart uh, feelings, it seems like, that are put in, into words, trying yeah. to express this, uh, pleading with God. That's one of the wonderful things about the Psalms is that they, they are often masterful in taking deep feelings and expressing them. Uh, deep feelings of love, of worship, of desperate need, and all the things we've talked about that I think most people, when they read the Psalms, if they will, if they'll go through them, they'll find some of their feelings that they didn't know how to express. They'll find them expressed and expressed beautifully uh, with a heartfelt uh, desire. And, and that's uh, that's often helpful for us when we don't know quite how to articulate these deep, deep feelings to find someone else who has felt them and has articulated them. Very good point. And I think it just comes back to, again, you know, this is strengthening our relationship with God uh, through trying to express these things. 
And while we may struggle sometimes with the words, you know, if we're sincere and have this broken heart and contrite spirit, um, then God will recognize that and you know, we'll draw closer to him and, and we'll feel of his strength and his power and his spirit in return. Mm. Uh, whether you know we're as eloquent as, as these are uh, doesn't matter if if that's just trying to express what's in our heart and and so these you know these psalms help me in that aspect to just remember you know to praise God to give thanks to ask when need needed you know for things but but mostly just I need to do more praising of God in my yeah. So agreed. So agreed. And, and I like what you're saying. I mean, part of the reason why uh, we, we can find ourselves in our own feelings in the scriptures are because they were written by real people and were real people. And uh, humanity is such that we have uh, common experiences. So it may not be that what I need deliverance from is King Saul chasing me with his sword. Um, but uh, the the deliverance that I need is is just as real as David's was or anyone else's and and because of our shared humanity our the, the commonality of humanity among us uh, and because they're real and we're real uh, they they should and and can speak to us very powerfully. Those are some of my thoughts. Uh, well, thank you. Again, I appreciate the psalms and the insights they provide and and the. Their emphasis on, you know, teaching who God is, what He can do for us, uh, and the great things He's already done for His people. Uh, so well said. Well, well, thank you, Jared. We're very, very grateful uh, that you'd share these things with us, and and I believe uh, anyone listening will find a number of things in that uh, discussion you've led us through that can uh, touch and uplift and help in our worship and our gratitude and and so on. So thank you for that. And uh, we just encourage everyone to make sure that they spend some time in the scriptural text. Uh, it's good to listen to us and other podcasts, but don't let that substitute uh, spending time in the scriptural text. Uh, but let the power of the scriptures become real to you and really affect your life. Uh, as uh, you've heard uh, Dr. Ludlow talk about so eloquently here. So thank you, Jared, and thank you, everyone. <laughs>